Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've tuned in to Footy Prime, the podcast, with James Sharman, Danny Dicchio, and Craig Forrest. Today, we welcome Patrick Kendrick with Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole. Let's give a big cheers to Amsterdam for all the beer. <laughs> Boys, let's Great have it. Beer. Lovely day for a beer. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Funny Prime. Indeed, Amsterdam Brewery, thank you so much. It is, you know what it is, fellas? It is a beer drinking day, actually. The weather is beautiful in Toronto. I've been in my yard all afternoon. Cleaning shit up, literally. He's just been playing basketball. The, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been beautiful, though. What a day. You know, and I feel, I think, more hopeful today than I have in the previous six, seven weeks, to be honest with you. I, I think we are turning the corner, so to speak. Does anyone else feel the same way? No. The weather is nice, though. <laughs> it's great. You were that guy, weren't you, in the room? You know, halftime saying, ah, who cares anymore? What's the point? No, no, you're that guy. You're like, <laughs> I don't want to make any pies. I don't want to make any pies anymore. I'm done with it. <laughs> not at all, not at all. I would be the, the positive part of that team. Um, but yeah, well done last week. Uh, you got by without me, but this should be a good show today. As mentioned uh, in the opening, courtesy Jeff, uh, we're going to be joined by Patrick Kendrick, who's uh, an Italian based football journalist, also a UEFA interpreter, currently working with Inter Milan, actually. So we'll get a great perspective on what's happening in Italian football right now. Big news, in fact, last little while. The government, as it stands right now, given the green light to teams returning to training. Now, that could all still be wiped out this week, a big meeting, uh, I think, on Wednesday. But we'll talk to Patrick about that and about being an interpreter in Italian football. Um, it should be a really interesting chat. And then, later today, fellas, um, I, I've been doing some homework and actually putting some work together outside my pie business. And I've got a little quiz for Deitch and Craig about their careers. Um, I, I'm going to find out if they remember anything about their careers. I suspect not very much, but it might be interesting nonetheless. Um, so that will be coming up later in today's show. But the season's... Well, apparently we may see some football at some point, be it from Italy, be it MLS, who knows where. But where are you guys thinking right now? Where's your heads at with seasons? In Europe right now, we're into May, right? And the campaigns generally end in May. 
elite campaigns. Um, I'm kind of getting to this point where it's like, man, is it not just better to say thanks for the memories? We'll, we'll crown a champion. We'll, we'll figure a way out to, to reward those teams who have done well this season. But let's just look to next season at this point. Anyone share those thoughts? Well, I would think that you're saying crown a champion. You're saying that we should crown Liverpool champion, right? Well, listen, I'm trying to get my emotion out of it, honestly. I mean, listen, I, I do think after 29 games, like France, right? France have said, we're not playing football this year, this season now, but we are crowning PSG champions, right? Now, obviously, if we're being honest, the, the Premier League was over in January. Right. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. Basically, just like finishing off the Champions League, Europa places, and also f- trying to find out who's going to get relegated. But the big problem, which I'm sure you're aware of, is the financial side of things. When you have the Premier League that are kind of contracted to play a certain amount of games and have been given a lot of money, clubs as well, by the likes of Sky or BT or wherever it is around the world, they're contracted to put these games out. So it doesn't matter if there's fans in the stadium. And I think it was a stupid number that was out that if they do not complete the Premier League, they are going to have to play an, a pay in excess of £780 million around the world to these TV companies or whatever it is, sponsorships. And if they do continue and finish the season in empty stadiums, the hit is going to be something like £225 million. So you weigh it up and you go, okay, where are we really being pushed now? Is it the health and safety of players? Is it the health and safety of staff? Is it the coronavirus itself? Or is it what the Premier League actually owe to these companies? Yeah, it's a really, I think, crucial point, isn't it? This next couple of weeks, I think we might find out more and more from more leagues whether they're going to do that or not. But we know money drives the leagues 100%. But listen, is it not better to cut the losses at this point and say, you know, we we can't do this safely. We're going to lose a lot of money. We understand that. We'll find a way around that eventually. But let's just start again in September, be it in front of empty stadiums or not. But just start the new season in September and just find a way to be as fair as possible. There's no right answer here, right? I mean, no, I think you're right, uh, James. I mean, I, I think that the problem is, and maybe it's not a problem, is that the authorities are still, they're probably talking behind closed doors like we are. But um, in reality, they want to keep some hope alive and keep pushing things back. Kind of like when we were talking last week with the uh, the golf situation where the guys being the first in line to start with the PGA Tour, um, they've got to keep that in mind that it might be a possibility because they have to have a plan B and a C and a D, really. Yeah. Sharp, sure. I wanted to ask you just a question. Let's just say Liverpool wasn't crushing it. And I'm not trying to put – let's say there were four teams all within a point – all, like I don't know the last season, but I remember a couple. What do you do? Do you you, you can't claim you can't say they're the champion. To Danny's point, do you just go, hey, I'm gonna let's put together a fourteen fourteen you know empty stadium tri- uh, tournament and they play it out? No, I mean, I mean, you know, I just don't see that happening because. There then are going to be so much revenue generated by those teams. Who's going to get that money? Where does it go? Um, but it is a really good point. If it was only a point separating, and it might be different if that was the case. I certainly would think it would be different. Um, 
I don't know what you guys' opinions are with the divisions below. Some of them are tighter than the Premier League, obviously. Uh, do you crown them all champions? Or There's always going to be an asterisk next to Liverpool. There, there will be. And if people look at the history of it, they'll go, well, it was other than mathematically. It, it won't be the same, though, will it? It won't be the same. If they just crown a champion now, oh. it's not going to be anything like it. It, it should be. Well, you, you know, know that every other club from. in the country is not going to ever let them you know, not hear about it, right? Yeah. You, you speak about the lower leagues as well, Craig, and one of the massive clubs in England, Leeds, are sitting atop of the championship at the moment, and they've been waiting so long to get back into the Premier League. And suddenly, if this this campaign is null and void, can you imagine the, the outrage from not only the fans, but the owner as well, yeah. Of, yeah. of them coming up to the Premier League? And we know what the financial... It is for for these clubs that that get relegated from the Premier League and the support they get after being relegated, but also the promotion bonus for getting up to the Premier League as well. What a massive bonus that would be for a club like Leeds, who are trying to get back to the big time. They're trying to, you know, build that club back up again. They've got a fantastic head coach in charge, Bielsa, who's done a wonderful job there. But that would be a, a real kick. Um, well, well you know, I think we discussed before, right? The uh, a solution would be. To, to reward those teams like Leeds with promotion, but then just don't relegate, right? So you're not punishing teams. Um, yeah. So you have one season with, with a large expanded Premier League, for example, and then you have more teams going down next year. That was discussed earlier in this whole thing, right? So that might be the way to go. You give it on a, on a, a points per game kind of basis, you do it that way. Listen, we're not talking about 10 games into the season, right? This is almost 30 games into the season. Um, yeah. as, 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 there's no great way, there's no right way of airing it, but... Bottom line is, you can't have too many complaints after almost 30 games if, if you didn't quite make it. So there's solutions, but you know, we'll find out. But obviously for France, they made the call. Um, the Dutch made the call as well. I just wonder, and from a personal standpoint, like I said, it's a bit easier to stomach no football in the middle of May for me personally than, than in March, right? Because the games were finishing anyway, Champions League aside. Um, obviously, we know about Euro. I understand that. But from a domestic standpoint, Middle of May, I'm saying goodbye to football anyway, as I know it, right? So maybe, you know, that's why looking forward for me personally, it's a lot more palatable than it was two, uh, six weeks ago. Mm. Yeah. I think it's all dependent on the club you support and the club you play for. <laughs> you're probably right there, <laughs> like most things. And you're, you're a hockey fan as well, Shams. What, what are you saying for hockey then? So, yeah, well, it's very similar, right? But they have the expanded playoffs, right, of course. So... Uh, to me, you know what? Again, it's, it's the bias clouding my judgment. I'm a Leaf fan. Hasn't been the best of years. They're not there. They're not going to win the Cup this year. So if they decide to say, sorry, we're going to cancel this season, I'm not that concerned. If I'm Tampa, I'm pissed off. <laughs> right? So it's, it's a very personal, it's very subjective. But Tampa wishes it happened last year, considering they... Yeah, they tanked in the first round. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So is it going to be more difficult to bring sports back that are played in arenas than it is in stadiums? What do you think is going to come back first? I don't think there's going to be anything different between that and being in an open-air stadium. I don't think. I think you still have to have a distance between fans, certainly at this moment in time. I think the only one that can come back is golf. I yeah. think they can really, they can literally do that without – like we talked to the guys last week, they, you know, grandstands, players, you know, distancing themselves. They certainly can get away with it, but everything else is still massively on hold. When I heard Trudeau 
on uh, sorry Doug Ford on, on Friday say how you know he's going to starting Monday allow golf courses to begin preparing for the season I thought of you Craig <laughs> well he doesn't know that they're already prepared yeah oh, they, yeah yeah for sure they're already they're ready to go and so <laughs> As Danny said it last week, Craig, all he did was try and weasel his way into free golf in Texas. <laughs> it, was so obvious. it was so clear what you were trying to do there. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to go to Texas. Oh, fair enough. But I, I had this image, though, of Craig, you know, on, on Friday, like sitting on his couch, literally polishing his clubs. I'm getting so excited. Like, oh, we're almost there, getting the tees out and counting them and stuff. And uh, We're almost there, throwing the balls in the dishwasher. Where do you keep the balls? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did you hear this? That there's there's um, been discussion at the top level of football about restructuring this season to the calendar year. Obviously, that would now really fit for the World Cup in 2022. Now, the current schedule, um, it runs to 2024. But our boy... Uh, Mr. Victor Montagliani was, was quoted as saying, yeah, we're thinking about maybe a restructuring of football from January through the year. And you think about it, it makes sense on many levels aside from tradition. Is that something you'd like to see or is football a winter sport for you in Europe? Well, it's interesting, actually. And, and just the fact that Victor is uh, thinking outside the box and uh, figuring out ways to, would, would this be plausible? Could, could they, could they, possibly pull it off would it be better um i mean we're very much accustomed to the way it is and i quite like it that way um playing in the summer is obviously from a player's uh, goalkeeper's point of view it's always uh, nicer to play in the summer balls never slippery slippery and uh <laughs> other than that um uh, quite honestly i'm not sure what they would do there but it's interesting they're talking about it absolutely not hated <laughs> playing in the summer Football was to be played through the winter months. Oh months. yeah, because you couldn't run around in the heat at all. Listen, you know? I run around anyway, but add another yeah. like twenty degrees on top of the weather, no chance. See, um, goalkeeper, goalkeepers, we could just uh, stand there, look good. Yeah, or, nothing- Beach says that, right? Beach says that, but then he moves to bloody North America and MLS in two thousand and seven. Yeah, yeah I, not aware of the season. I'd never ever felt heat and like pain like I did in Houston warming up for a game one time I was, yeah. I was warming up and I spoke to little Carmelo our, our trainer and I was like Carmelo I'm absolutely fucked <laughs> we're like 10 minutes into the warm up he's gone it's pretty hot I said, and it was an evening game as well so yeah. human I was like I think I remember that DJ and that's exactly what I said to Jerry Dobson <laughs> I and that was only doing the commentary. Doing commentary, yes. Yeah, Actually, speaking of that, remember Joe Kinnear that was there for you know years, whatever. Yeah, we went to training, and they always trained really early in the morning. And Dom Kinnear, yeah. yeah, you find you, yeah Joe Kinnear. Sorry, um, you, you you figure out quite quickly why they play or train and then or so early in the morning. And he was like, you know what, living in Houston in the summer is like hell. He goes, oh. forget being dead and going to hell. He goes, I've lived in it. This is brutal. It really is tough. Humidity is crazy. Listen, there's nothing better than a cold, wet, windy night in fucking Stoke on a Tuesday. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Not That's a chance. That's where true characters are born, Charms. In yeah, the it's not for goalkeepers. It's awful. <laughs> for goalkeepers, it's bad enough in Canada, like in the early season, late season. Yeah. 
But it's interesting that they're discussing it. You do wonder, though, what that would do to MLS, right? If, they, if the European calendar and the world calendar went January through the season, what that would do to MLS? Because right now it's a great alternative in those summer months, isn't it, as, as a fan? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think they'd do it, but it would make sense as far as that dumbass World Cup they got planned in 2022 in December. So you got no in playing MLS in January and February in Boston, New York, Toronto, Montreal, places like that. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Like, not that we would like it and to match what they're doing in Europe if it does get changed. There's no chance that, first of all, you're getting a game to be played on an outdoor field. And secondly, that actual fans would come out in minus 30 degrees. It's, it's not possible. There will still be some idiots out there with no shirts on, no yeah. matter how cold it is. I think you and Nate Charms with a couple of beers. <laughs> but are you hot right now, Deech? You're like you're, you're barely wearing anything at the moment. <laughs> in the back garden with the kids playing basketball or trying to play basketball. Is that where you're wearing your your retro uh, Pistons? Uh... Pistons top one today. Bad yeah, boys. You must have you had your, your elbows up if you got that. Deech, do you have your your speedo going? No, I got nothing on underneath. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the ant eater. The ant eater's out. <laughs> well it's interesting fellas and uh, you know I am looking forward to testing both you two in a, in a little while about your own personal careers in this oh, quiz um, it's going to be a momentous and embarrassing I think few minutes for, for both of you there's no math questions in it there's no math don't worry about that no no I wouldn't do that listen let's welcome in our, uh, our guest shall we it's going to be a, a fascinating chat I alluded to the fact that Italian football right now is getting closer to something near normal as far as teams are reported. Although I saw that Ronaldo's he's stuck right now um, in Spain. I uh, can't get to Turin for various reasons, but I'm sure you'll, you'll find a way in the end. But let's talk to Patrick Kendrick, who's an Italian-based football journalist and also an interpreter for Inter Milan as well as UEFA. Uh, Patrick, welcome to Footy Prime. Um, I can imagine it's been... Some journey for you so far. You're based in Milan, I believe. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Yeah, it's been uh, it's certainly been a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, uh, tomorrow uh, is the big day. Monday after eight weeks, we uh, we get the opportunity to uh, to go out the house again. We've been on on extreme lockdown. No, no walks, no running, no exercise outside of the house, which when you live in uh, 48 square meters, uh, is uh, is pretty hard to take, to be honest. But uh, yeah, lots of patience required. So they've been really strict there, eh, uh, Patrick? I mean, that's that's quite intense for over here. We're not, you know, it's it's recommended, obviously, and people are abiding by it pretty well in Toronto. Um, parts of the country are better than others, obviously, with the vast size of us. But um, you guys are in a different situation. So I, it was a little bit more severe, I believe. Yeah, it was militant because the north of Italy was struck so badly. It was one of the real hotspots of of the virus quite early on. You know, outside of China, Italy was really where coronavirus hit and hit hard to begin with. Um, And the healthcare system very quickly got overwhelmed. So it was a case of shut down the whole country. And um, they were quite militant with it and basically said, you know, we're going to have to repress your your liberties in terms of movement. And I have to say, people have respected it pretty well. You know, you still get the odd pictures on social media and, and things like that of people going out and about. And now the weather's getting nicer as well. But I think we've been pretty disciplined in Italy. And in some ways, speaking to friends and family back in 
the UK, I almost feel it's easier. You know, it's, it's a lot more black and white. There is no gray area where you think, okay, yeah, I can go out for a walk. Technically, I'm supposed to be out for an hour, but I'm just going to linger and be out for two or three hours and sit on the grass and have a beer or whatever. But uh, as of tomorrow, we, we get the opportunity to do that. So uh, whether I'll, I'll do that or not, I don't know. I've almost become a bit of a hermit in the meantime. <laughs> And Pat, you, you were basically in Lo- the Lombardy region, which was the worst hit region in Italy. Um, who governs that the people in the Lombardy region can go out tomorrow? Or is it a national kind of statement that everyone is going to be allowed out? Because I have family in, in Milan. I have family down south in Puglia as well that they're kind of getting different messages at the moment of what could possibly happen, especially down south in Italy where it hasn't hit as bad. People are very frustrated down there and they're wanting more exposure to being out and small stores opening up. So can you give us a little a bit of insight to what, what is? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, Danny. The, the lockdown is nationwide. It's being lifted. We move into what's called phase two tomorrow, um, which will run until the 18th of May, whereby uh, it's been dubbed by the government as now we need to learn to live with the virus. You know, it's now part and parcel of daily of daily life and we're going to have to start to get to grips with it and find a way of leading a normal life albeit whilst taking precautions as well yeah you're absolutely right down south uh in sicily in particular you know um the economic driver of italy is really milan and the north traditionally it was the sort of three big um cities in the north Turin, milan and, and genoa were traditionally the the economic powerhouses is now milan in particular so you get a lot of people from southern italy that have migrated and moved north to look for work and so now the the governor of the region of sicily has come out and said we won't be allowing any sicilian uh, people originally from sicily to come back to the island for precautionary measures campania where naples is the uh, is the uh, capital of campania they've said something similar that they don't want people coming back down from from milan and things like that so unfortunately it's brought it's brought out a bit of tribalism in italy which is always bubbling under the surface a very young country 1861 was unification you still get a very strong north-south rivalry and in some ways it's it's brought out the worst in people because traditionally the the northerners were always moaning about the southerners saying that there was no work down south they were leeching off the state and now you have the southerners saying why can't we open back up the country in region by region basis you know we're having to wait for milan because they haven't been able to deal with it in the north and so it's it's all pretty fractured and it's it's not dissimilar to the situation at the moment with football i think not just in italy but all across europe you have so many different players you know you have the the president of the league the president of the fa you have the sports minister and the government and you know there's there's just so many conflicting voices I mentioned before how, how Italian football might be resumed somewhat um, with, with the government giving the green light at least at the training um, this week. But that, of course, could change very quickly as well. Is there a, a desperate thirst right now for football in Italy or is it still a, a reality within the people's minds thinking maybe now isn't the right time? I think it's changed. I think if you were to ask me that question six weeks ago, I'd have said people were desperate to get out there. You know, we weren't used to spending so much time at home. We weren't used to this way of life. I think we adapt very quickly as human beings. And I think now the death toll is so high. I think we're pushing towards 30,000 deaths in Italy that people are starting to put things into perspective. And this is a, a football mad country. But you start to, when you start to really research it and look into all of the different measures that would need to be taken just to ensure the player's safety it does 
become almost far-fetched, I think. But yeah, as you said, it's it's been this staggered approach. Um, as of uh, Monday, it was it was due to be um, individual sportsmen can resume training. That didn't apply to. Uh, individuals within team sports, but re- uh, pressure from three or four regions has actually prompted the government to act. So as of tomorrow, uh, Monday, uh, then there's going to be the option for uh, for players to go to the training ground uh, and train on an individual basis, albeit not as part of the t- part of the team. The team training sessions can resume on the 18th of May, um, but it could all be called off at a mo- moment's notice. We saw that in France. We've seen it elsewhere. And there's um, talk of this big meeting on Wednesday being make or break. The government might just ultimately say, you know what, no football until August or September, as they've done in France. And then uh, everything will just be sort of null and void from that perspective. And then you get into the whole debate as to what you do with the, with the league season that you guys were obviously discussing earlier on. And it's this year in particular, Juve, I know they're in first place, but Lazio aren't far behind. This might have been the year that the run came to an end. I, mean, I think it really could have been, you know, uh, one point difference. Juventus only went top by virtue of beating Inter behind closed doors in the last round of fixtures played before uh, everything was called off. That was the ninth, the weekend of the ninth, eighth uh, and ninth of March. And, um, and Lazio were playing one game a week. They were playing really well. They were scoring goals for fun Immobile top scorer they just Luis Alberto playing the best football of his career and Juventus were still in a Champions League tie they had to overcome a a 1-0 deficit from the first leg against Lyon Um, they still had a uh, Coppa Italia second leg to play against Milan you know they were competing on three fronts I think it could have been you know to break this stranglehold we've had eight straight years of, uh, of Juventus winning the Scudetto and I think uh, those outside of half of Turin are pretty keen to see someone else win it. And um, it would have been a great story for Lazio, you know, 20 years on since uh, since the last time they did it. And they've hey, been playing Pat- wonderful football. Patrick, the, what is happening in the talk of, about lower divisions there? Obviously, finances in the top divisions in like the Premier League, even Serie A, would struggle somewhat. Um, how about the lower divisions in non-league in Italy? That's going to take a massive hit as well. Is, is there a lot of talk or support for that? I think there should be more. Um, a lot of the media attention tends to focus on where the money is, Craig. You know, it's a case of there's so much on the line at stake in terms of uh, TV rights money and players out of contract and insurance and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, it's like it's like any pyramid. The money trickles down. So I don't see why the the issue that you have is you can't, apply sort of sporting justice across the board. Maybe you can get Serie A to go ahead because you have the financial means with which to ensure that the players are quarantined, which to me is just barbaric, by the way. You're basically tr- treating the players as prisoners. I'd love to get yours and Danny's thoughts on that. The idea of spending 40 or 50 days locked down in a facility and just going training, playing, training, play. I can't imagine too many footballers buying into that, to be honest. Um, but you, you obviously don't have the financial resources to do that at a lower level. You don't have the means with which to test at a lower level. You don't have the gate. You're not going to have the gate receipts either way because it's going to be played behind closed doors. But I think it's unrealistic. And it's that, it's that thing, you know, um, <laughs> a quote, David Brent from the office, where's your cutoff point? You know, um, where do you draw the line? It's interesting as well, guys, because we speak about the lower leagues and, I think a family that are really, really pissed off with this coronavirus is the Inzaghi family because you look at uh, 
Benevento or top of Serie B who want to come up to Serie A and it's possible this week they're going to get down to Serie B even before Serie A has announced that it's going to continue. And then you spoke about Inzaghi as well, who's done ever so well with Lazio this year, who I, I still believe if the season would have continued, would have pipped Juve to the title because Juve are obviously really trying to go for this Champions League. And then on the counter to that, you look at Brescia, who their president, he wants the season done. He wants it finished. <laughs> He's part of the league. He's paying humongous wages to Balotelli. He's actually the ex-president of Leeds. Uh, is his name Cellino? Cellino, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a crazy guy anyway. And he's he's like, it's, it's outrageous that we think that this league is going to still go ahead. His, his team is sitting bottom. They're done. They're finished. So he's <laughs> every day praying that this league gets cancelled. So he has to forfeit it. And he's still in Serie A next year. So there's all kind of different variables that are happening in, in Italy at the moment, which I think just add to the circus, which is going around Serie A at the moment. It really is amazing that it, you mentioned Juve's eight-year run, that Antonio Conte kind of was starting it. He, he left and now he's come back. Into Milan, and they're still the dominant force. Um, let me ask you about your current job, um, one of your current jobs in, in, as an interpreter in football. I find it fascinating, actually. So you speak you speak uh, Italian, you speak French. Uh, I think uh, you're working on your Portuguese, according to your website as well. Uh, what, what's the hardest language to learn? I'm assuming it's English because I'm still struggling. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm still Portuguese is very much a work in, in progress. That one's been hard, just linguistically in terms of the sounds. It's quite difficult, and, and the grammar is quite tricky. But having a basis of French and Italian helped because it's all the sort of Romance languages. But um, the good thing about working as an interpreter in football is, like any specialization, you know, the the more you specialize, the the more specific the terminology becomes. But it's quite limited in terms of how much it, it can vary. And um, you know, I'd love to say that footballers and coaches go into really amazing philosophical conversations in in a presser but it, it's very rarely happened to me Jurgen Klopp was a bit of a challenge he, he had a good you know had a good laugh with him in Naples um in September that was uh if you never go to the San Paolo in uh, in late September for Champions League match day one I've never been so hot in all my life sweat dripping off all of us and uh yeah he he had some fun with it you know he, he, you almost feel like occasionally he's just throwing certain lines in partly to amuse obviously the assembled medium but partly <laughs> also to keep you on your toes as uh, as an interpreter so so that was a lot of fun with that yeah but it's been a good season I, I did two I only ended up with two games the way the draw went but they were they were good games I did uh, I did Napoli Liverpool in uh, at San Paolo and then I did uh, Atalanta Man City uh, at San Siro which was right on my doorstep and Atalanta has sort of been a fairy tale Cinderella story of uh, the Champions League as well so that was that was good fun yeah so when you're uh, interpreting for somebody like Danny for instance and he's making words up pulling them out of thin air what do you do <laughs> it's a good challenge actually um I, I I went full circle with it I got so comfortable with uh with interpreting Danny that just to uh, amuse some of his uh, some of his colleagues on the coaching course, I ended up interpreting some of the French staff into English with uh, with a sort of mock Danny Dicchio accent, which uh, I, I won't do now because I'm not performing Seal, and uh, I, th- I fear I've lost it. But uh, so you actually yeah, got him past. He was like saying shite, and you were actually saying like, the right things and got him past. You should be the coach. Yeah, yeah exactly. The problem is with that, you. Um, 
you get a cheap laugh out of uh, out of 20 guys for 10 seconds but then the the french guy who's given a very serious point about tactical periodization wonders <laughs> uh, wonders what he said that's so funny and thinks everyone's just sort of mocking him so yeah it sort of came back to bite me in the end but no it's it's good fun it's um it's amazing language has always been my passion and football was was my other passion really and, and still is to this day so being able to combine them and um you know a, a, an, as an interpreter I mean, Danny's seen me play. Unfortunately, I am wretched at football. Um, so, you know, to get your, it literally is a 15 minutes of fame thing. You know what I mean? You're up at the top table and you pinch a few photos here and there off Twitter and uh, if things go well, you know, you, you share a, a word with the coach. And that's no, nice. It's nice. Listen, uh, listen, I've been involved in certain seminars and, and rooms where Pat, has been translating and some of the stuff he does is incredible for hours on end as well. I think our first trip to Clairefontaine in France, he did like eight hours in one day where the French um, assessor or coach is actually speaking and the rest of us guys have got headphones in the audience and Pat's translating it. And he was doing it for two hours at a time, have a break, two hours again, lunch. And it was fantastic. But I just want to ask you, Pat, with your everyday work, are you working with the players like, do you ever need to translate for the players? Because Inter Milan have a lot of English-speaking players at this present time, and I'm not sure whether all of them speak Italian. Or are you solely working with the hierarchy, the staff, the head coaches, the management, um, when there's Champions League games or when there's actual press conferences with the head coaches? Yeah, well, it's sod's law, actually, because I've been freelancing again since, um, since June of last year. So um, I was at Inter for 18 months and Sod's Law, just as I left, they brought in content. He brought in a load of English speaking players, um, <laughs> Ericsson, Young, Moses. So I'd have, had my, uh, I'd have had my hands full. But when I was there, no, um, very little. I interpreted uh, Spalletti when we used to go and do international Champions Cup games. We went down to, uh, where did we go? Went down to Lecce, played against the, a game against Lyon and we had a, a game uh, somewhere else. I can't remember now that I played... Um, Oh, against Chelsea and Nice as well. So I interpreted there. Ended up interpreting for Sarri as well, despite the fact that I was working for Inter. So that was, uh, that was interesting. But no, um, it, it sort of depends. It's an ad hoc basis. I'd have done all of Inter's European games uh, had they played an English-speaking opposition, but it was all German-speaking. It was a rapid Vienna and uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and stuff like that. I did Cedric, Cedric Suarez as well. In uh, He spoke English. I did his his unveiling. So it's, it's really, as a, a football interpreter, you're at the mercy of a, a club signing... Uh, a player that speaks your language or you coming up against a team uh, that that speaks that language basically so um and in italy they still tend to do player unveilings every time there's a new signing they've sort of phased that out a lot in other parts of the world but uh, you'll still have the sort of sit down presser over here yeah all right last question for you on my side who has been the biggest arsehole that you've dealt with um he recently uh, left his job by mutual consent he had spent a bit of time in uh, in dutch football um i won't name any names but i think you know who it is yeah he does a, <laughs> does a funny dance as well doesn't he yeah i wasn't dancing with him i have to say on that occasion we call him, we call him mr chocolate in england counter <laughs> <laughs> that who, who are the, the the great guys you like to work for that are the well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a massive, I grew up idolizing uh, Mourinho and then uh, got to work with him and he was a very nice guy. I think if you do a good job with him, then he respects it because linguistically he knows what's involved as well. And um, Well, he was an interpreter himself for Bob. Yeah, yeah, he was. I don't know if you've ever seen any old footage. It's brilliant. 
because he was an interpreter. He like this kind of like this kind of nerdy interpreter culture. Oh, Jose Mourinho, what a legend! Not I think so. Yeah, I think that's where I was first sort of drawn to him. I mean, I loved it when he when he ran down the touchline at Old Trafford. I think that was my sort of first introduction to him. And then I remember going on a summer holiday to Portugal at that time, and there was like a him sort of doing advertising a bank and it was in the bus shelter and I took a photo next to him and uh yeah really sort of geeky you know I was a proper Mourinho fanboy back in the day so getting to work with him was uh, was pretty cool it's sad now seeing his sort of relative demise in terms of results but no he was good and um Jurgen Klopp I really enjoyed yeah that was uh, that was in September because he was really having a having a laugh with it as well and um you know he just he really engages with um with the journalists and the interpreters and, and everyone there. And uh, at one stage, uh, Napoli won the game 2-0. They were 1-0 up and then there was a late Mertens penalty, which made it 2-0. Um, and then he started, he asked for a show of hands amongst the journalists as to who thought it was a penalty. So it's a lot more interactive than it normally is. Yeah, so no, good fun with that. But um, ordinarily, um, coaches are pretty disinterested, to be honest. They want you to get in and get out very quickly. And you need to remember you're not the star of the show. But just occasionally, you get, uh, you get a coach that sort of gives you a helping hand and it can be a lot of fun. As a whole, are footballers open to learning new languages or are they just so transient that they arrive at a new club in a new country and it's like, well, I'm going to be here for a couple of years. Who cares? I'm not going to make the effort. I think the ones that are keen linguists are the exception rather than the rule. I remember... Um, Petr Cech is famously uh, multilingual. I think he speaks about six or seven languages. Romelu Lukaku learned Brazilian Portuguese, having never set foot in Brazil. I mean, he's really impressive and he's really popular figure in the inter dressing room. Um, but I think you're starting to see it a little bit more now with English players going abroad as well. Ashley Young has tried to speak Italian on occasion. Joe Hart did uh, not particularly well. Um, and I remember when I was doing some work at um, QPR many years ago, uh, Neda Manua told me he'd like to spend time abroad and he ended up being a guitar so I can say it's another language as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is well, Danny, Danny Dicchio started learning English when he came again. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, though, we, we are seeing though, more, more English British players making the move overseas at a young age, right? And we never used to see that. But, you know, Jaden Sancho kind of stands out as one. But there's obviously, there's been several the last couple of years who aren't getting the opportunity maybe at their clubs and they're getting a great chance to move to Germany or wherever it's going to be. Maybe it's the player evolving or just opportunity. I, I think that it's a, it's a little bit of the evolving part of it, but it's also the world's become a much smaller place. And, you know, when players move back in the day, you're cutting ties with family, friend, culture, language, everything. And that's not the case anymore. So I think it's become very easy or easier. Plus, the teams have become multicultural, too. Like when I started at Ipswich, I mean, everybody was pretty well they were english or scottish or uk that's for sure irish northern ireland and then you look at west ham when i retired you've got players from literally all over the world um religions cultures and that makes it interesting and some players certainly like you said want to take on languages certainly want to take on that challenge and other players just aren't interested and i can remember like uh javier margas from chile he he had no interest his wife you know, hated England right from the get-go until he basically jumped on a plane and screwed went back to Chile. Um, he had no interest in trying to learn. Didn't Robert Pires, like, live in England for seven years and 
speak very limited English. Mm-hmm. That sounds familiar. I think I've heard that as well. Yeah, yeah. What what I would say is that I find, and I'm not sure if I'm right, but I find that clubs, fans, even owners. When a player signs for a team, whether he's a, a foreign player from Latin America or from another place in Europe, if they try to engage and they try to involve themselves in the culture and learn the language, they're respected a lot more and a lot quicker. And that sometimes buys them a little bit of time, even with poor performances. You know, Absolutely. So, You're bang on. Yep. I feel that a lot of players should do it more. And I, I'm really glad to hear that, like, Ashley Young's doing that. I know Chris Smalling is trying to do a lot of interviews, broken Italian, but at least he's trying. And I used to have respect for guys that come over to England. I remember Eden Hazard didn't speak very good English, but at least he tried and he was trying to do an interview. He was club captain for Chelsea. Because I feel that if you're kind of in the spotlight for your team and you're one of the top players on the team, the least you can do for an hour of your day is take either an English lesson or an English class or doing it online, which you can do quite easily now, just to be a little bit more proactive. Did you learn uh, Italian teach uh, at home? I spoke broken Italian, but I, I was speaking Italian at home when I was younger. And my, my parents both speak fluent Italian. Um, but then obviously going to English school, there was there was questions about me, it affecting my understanding of uh, the, the language that was being spoken at school. So they told my parents to stop speaking it, which is, in my opinion, the worst thing. The best thing you can do is speak two languages at a really young age because it just becomes natural to you then. But I spoke broken Italian, and then I started taking classes again um, prior to going out to Italy. But I was speaking to Patrick about this the other day. The best place to learn a language is to totally engage yourself in the changing room, the locker room, and just hear the different sounds and the different answers. And you might not understand all of it, but it will naturally come to you in the end just with certain sentences and greetings and the way you hear certain stuff, watching a lot of TV, watching a lot of films, whether it be with subtitles, and it catches on very quickly. If you're totally ingrained in, into learning that, if you're just going to fob it off and say, yeah, if I get, I'll say ciao, hello, and ciao, ciao, goodbye, you're never going to get anywhere. It's just what, what you want to put into it. Like in life, you're going to get out of it. Is, is it possible for a coach to come to a new country without speaking the language and be successful. We, we've seen it. We've seen Italian coaches come to the Premier League the last two or three years. Um, I'm not sure it's worked out that well. Do you think it's possible to coach without speaking the language of that, that country or um, is, is football a language in and of itself? It all depends on how good your interpreter is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Craig. Absolutely. There aren't enough football interpreters. I agree with that. Yeah, 100%. When we were doing the French course, it was brilliant because we were obviously stuck in Clairefontaine, which is the headquarters of the French Football Federation, for weeks on end. And we would do two weeks period, fly back to North America. Then we would meet up again, maybe in a different spot in North America. And the, the French coaches were, were brilliant. But it was so funny at times when we were running our sessions to put on for the French uh, educators and coaches. And we would have Patrick and our other interpreter, Matt, actually running alongside us and there was a couple of moments a couple of examples with other coaches i won't name who they were where they were speaking in broken american or like texas one guy was from kentucky and they were running around so much 
Patrick wasn't the fittest at the time, and Matt <laughs> at the time. It was like a mini fitness test as well as trying to interpret the English language to these French coaches, and it was like a hilarious moment for us. So I can see that at a professional stage, if an interpreter is having to run with the coaches as well as they're trying to explain things, that'd be pretty humorous. <laughs> well, listen, Patrick, it's late there in, in Milan. Um, thank you so much for doing this. We'd love to get you back on at some point. And uh, I suppose good luck tomorrow, whatever your day looks like, um, becoming a human being once again. But thanks, mate. We really appreciate it. Cheers, guys. All the best. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Patrick. That is Patrick Kendrick. Uh, that was really interesting, fellas. Um, and, yeah, the, the universal language of football it is something, I suppose, but it does help if you get some banter with your, your teammates back and forth. You know, and, and the lockdown there, how intense. Like, that's incredible. You know, it, like, that's, we think we got a bad here. We can at least go to the grocery store and do, you know, things and go for walks without having police jump all over you. I mean, maybe we need that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I think things are changing slowly. All right, fellas. Um, Shall we end the show today with this quiz? Well, yeah. I don't know. We don't know anything about it, Charms. They're pretty crappy questions, in fairness. <laughs> but still, Wonga, can you keep score? Yeah. I'll tell you how you can keep score. Yeah, you can do that. The scores. Hey? The scores. We're doing scores, yeah? I'm going to write down the score. Good. Oh. Up against a goalkeeper. I got a pencil. All right, good. I will keep score. All right, all right, here we go. We'll start with, with Deech here, okay? I hope I get here's one. All right, it's worth one point, the first ones. They're pretty straightforward, I think. We're gonna <laughs> find out. Okay, so Deech, your first Premier League goal came in 94-95 season against Aston Villa. It was a winner in a 2-0 victory. Who was the goalkeeper you beat? Ooh, with one point, one point. Oh, that's a tough one. And Craig, you can steal, by the way. If Deech gets it wrong, you can steal and take that point. Really? I've got it through my head. <clears throat> so, oh, sorry, who is the game against? Can I give you two? Yeah? All right. You can give me half a point if I get one. One is Mark Bosnich. Okay, is that your answer? Your final answer? Or Nigel Spink. Okay, you've got to choose one, Deech. There's no half points here. What, what year was this? 94-95. Okay. Bosnich. I'm going Bosnich. Spink. Ding, ding, ding. Mark Bosnich is the correct answer. Ah. <laughs> opens up with, with a point. Well, he only scored three goals, so he's going to remember every one, isn't he? What's that? He only scored three goals, so he's going to remember every one. All right, that same season, 94-95, Ipswich was, was relegated, right? 9-0. No, no, that's, that's the year after. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's this 94-95. However, a famous <laughs> win that year for Ipswich came against Manchester United. You beat them 3-2. Name one of the United goal scorers that day. Oh, that's easy. Actually, you know what? I would have a hard time naming both, but Paul Scholes was one of them. Correct. I don't Correct. remember the other one. Four points. He was a member of royalty. Beckham. Oh. No, like royalty. <laughs> what? King Eric. Oh, really? 
Was it Cantona, was it? Hmm. Yeah, Cantona. But still, you, you won that game 3-2 at Ipswich. Yes, we did. Not a great season, but uh, for you, it was a good season and, and, and a famous win. So a point each. Both these boys are on form to start off with. I like this. It gets a lot harder, though, okay? All right, Deitch, you're up next. You were 23 match-winning goals in English football. Which team was your final match winner in England? It's worth two points. Match winner? Your final match winner in English football. Are we talking about Premier League or Championship here? English football in general, Championship. Or Premier League. It's your final match winner. So I'm assuming it was a Championship. Is that Preston? Mm. I'm going to go for Leeds. Incorrect. Sunderland. Incorrect. Hey, hey, hey. hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I want to roll there, Greg. Um, let me throw one out there. Um, Ipswich. Norwich. Oh, 40 miles away. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was a toughie. Fair enough. All right. Back to that 94-95 season, Craig. 9-0. <laughs> <laughs> that was 95-96. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. All right, you oh, were the- you're wrong. Was that you're wrong? Was it 94 95? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, is it? I think so. Okay, all right. Well, anyway, that's that season, despite Fred relegation, Sharps. you were Sharps. yeah. Craig doesn't remember what yesterday he did. <laughs> Just going back 25 years is tough enough. For him. Oh, no, it's only my short term memory. <laughs> that's why this, this quiz is more around your, your early careers, or you know, whereas maybe the next time I'll, I'll focus on your later careers, okay. But anyway, bad night four night five. Despite the relegation, you were actually voted Craig the players' player of the year that year. However, name the other teams that were relegated with you, Ipswich in ninety four ninety five. Two points. That's a toughie. That is a toughie. It really is. Yeah, yeah. There's easy ones. There's tough ones. Oh, everyone is. There was actually four went down, wasn't there? That's correct. I don't get any points for that, I guess. No, you don't. I should be, it should actually be easier. <laughs> <laughs> it should be um, <laughs> Sheffield, no, Sheffield United was already down. They went down the year before. Wasn't Norwich, I don't think. Southampton? Well, you got to name the three other teams. Oh, I got no shot. I can't name <laughs> one. I just want you guys to know. This is scintillating television. <laughs> Watching one. one. It's like a, a fucking half on a wheel. You want me to name three? That's tough. Birmingham. Huh? Birmingham. No. And? It was Birmingham. I didn't say that. Oh. <laughs> uh. No, can't, I, I can't remember. No? Deitch, you want to give it a bash? West Ham? Steal, steal two points, sorry? West Ham? No. Newcastle? No. Sunderland? No. <laughs> Where are you going? Always throw Sunderland in there. You always got a shot. <laughs> Ipswich that season went down with Palace, Norwich, and Leicester. Mm. Wow. Surprised me as well. Yeah. All right, so you both struck out there. All right, Deitch, back to you. Now, your last goal in the Premier League came in 
2002-2003 against Spurs, where you played for West Brom. Two of those Spurs players went on to have MLS careers. Who were they? Two points each. That is a tough question. Two of them. Two of them. Two of the Spurs players. Mm. So if you're watching this or listening to this right now, Danny is rubbing his bald head and Greg (laughs) is vaping and James is just sitting around laughing like the Lorenzo frantically Googling trying to find this out. Yeah, really. Can I have a shot? What's that? Can I have a shot? After Deitch strikes out, yeah. So it's worth four points, two points each here. One was Defoe. Hmm? Jermaine Defoe. Incorrect. What? Well, you want one more try. You can get two points still. Uh, 2003. Tottenham players that played in MLS. Dirty Tottenham players. <laughs> uh, no? No. All right, Greg? Yeah, you got me stumped now. It wasn't Robbie Keane. That's a... Robbie Keane? Yes. That's one. Two points for Craig. You want to get the other fourth point? Fourth point? Fourth point? Can't remember. Casey Keller. Oh, Casey Keller. That's right. What's that? Charms, where'd they play? Where? In in, uh, Colorado and Alaska. Colorado and LA Galaxy. Is that that great? Yeah, that's one, that's another point. Yeah, okay. one. Stick to the rules. Well, Craig, it's your turn now. You've taken the lead, though. You can pull away here. All right, Craig, you won the Canadian Player of the Year twice, although in fairness, it started in 1993 for some stupid reason. Still, you won it twice, right? Which women women's player did you share the award with each year? Two points each for a total of four points. Charmaine Hooper? Correct, 1994. And... Um, <laughs> well, it wasn't Christine. Really, wasn't it? I can't remember the second one. No points. Who was it, sorry? Throw a name out there. Do you, do you, do you say, throw a name. Oh, yeah. I got some on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember. I... Goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. I don't think so. All right, Left. I'll throw in. Left winger. Left winger. <laughs> uh, you, you know what the answer was? Well, you had it. It was, it was Christine. Oh, it was Christine, was it? Okay. I was going to say Christine. She's been around for a long time. Should have, should have, Deitch. Hold on. Christine's as old as Drake. So what? Had, had they had the award prior to 1993, how many would you have had? Ten. <laughs> Probably, right? <laughs> First time he's never, he hasn't been humble. I think right. Jimmy Lamb is, uh, I'm going to ask you both a question about the other person. Okay? So, Deech, this is asking you a question about Craig. Okay. And again, still, you're wrong. <laughs> All right. Nine nil. Actually, actually, you can't steal here, actually, because I checked in with Craig about this yesterday, and that would be a bit unfair. 
<laughs> All right. So, Deitch, how many matches, competitive matches, did Craig play against the States in his career? So with two points, one more, okay? Competitive or friendlies? Competitive. Against the States. There's an mm-hmm. asterisk test to this one, too. We actually talked about it when we had uh, Alex and Fitz on. That's right, we did. And I think, quite you know, honestly, I didn't know the answer myself, Deech. Now I'm relying on the Canadian Soccer Association's website, which is not the best. So, Competitive. so have I got a range of like between zero no. and five, five no, and no. no, no, you've got to get bang on. All right, zero. No, he played twice. Two matches, right, Craig? We, we... I was close. Yeah, but. <laughs> you were close, yeah, zero. <laughs> Once again, if you're, if you're listening on the podcast, Danny Dicchio just threw a chair through a window. <laughs> He's so competitive. I love seeing this, right? Yeah, I was always I was surprised with that because you know I played all the other ones like Jamaica and El Salvador and Honduras and all these other countries yeah. more. But yeah. it's because of the '94 World Cup qualifying, they didn't have to qualify, did they? So, um, right. yeah, yeah, of course. So, all right, all right, Craig. This one is a question for you on Danny. All right, in the Premier League, how many red cards did Danny Dicchio have? <laughs> Good question. Great question. Two. Deech? How many? Yeah. In the Premier League? Yeah. Zero. You split a difference here, fellas. One. One red card in the Premier League. Deech, how do you not remember league? getting sent off? What's that? How does Deech not remember getting sent off? <laughs> That's a good point. Too. <laughs> Do you need to ask that question, Craig? How many times have I been sent off in the in the Premier League? I think it's once, right? Yeah, I think it's you were, right. You yeah. see, I, I was looking that up, and there was conflicting different sites had different numbers for you. I saw one, but I couldn't find out which game it was. Was it from giving the wanker sign at your fans? No, no, I didn't get sent off for that. It, I, it, Adrian Littlejohn, remember that name? Deech? No wankers. Yeah, Little John. Okay. Adrian Little John. You're lightning fast player for Sheffield United. Okay. Johnny Wark was playing center back. At that time, he was treading water. He was like 55. And it was 30 seconds into the game, literally. Ball comes over the top. I think I can beat Little John with the ball. And it, he, he just came and I, I nailed him and he just helicoptered. Really? And I actually remember Frank Gallup was injured. He showed up to the game to watch after kickoff. And the guy at the door says, oh, your mate Forrest is in the uh, – got sent <laughs> off. He's like, what? So he comes into the shower room, and I'm sitting there. I'm having a shower, and he's like, hey, man, what the hell happened to you? It's like, it's like 302. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, Do you know what sent off again? Say again there, Deech? Who did I get sent off against? Um, you know what? I had that written down somewhere, but I can't find it now. Like I said, it's a oh. half-hour job doing this. Sunderland? One, one second, let me check here. I'm over here. Um, no, I don't know why I didn't write that down. No, I don't know. I don't know. Don't know that's out one of our listeners can let us know. Yeah, I'll get that hey, point what? back. Not what are the chores like there, uh, Wonga? Who's, who's aware? Pardon me, James? Scores. Who, who's, who's doing what so far, score-wise? Scores on the doors, George Doors. Craig is, Craig is up 77. <laughs> he's got uh, 79. All right. I don't, I don't know how the score worked, but it, 
Daddy's winning right now. No, he's not. Plenty of points available still. Plenty of points available. This one's called Round the Table. Okay. Just need a touchdown, Dan. I need a touchdown. <laughs> you, you can get it here, potentially. All right. So this is a Round the Table round, okay? So here's a question, all right? Now, both of your major debuts in the Premier League against Aston Villa, strangely enough. Craig back in 1992, of course. First game of the Premier League season, 1-1. Deitch back in 94. 2-0. We mentioned that, your, your first goal as well in your debut. Now, five Villa players played in both those matches. All right? Taking turns, one name at a time, name them. Okay? One point for each. Okay? Um, Deitch, you're up first. Bosnic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is incorrect. Spink. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I got one. Paul McGraw. Paul McGraw. Correct. Point for Deitch. Uh, the English Irishman. Yes. Who is it? <laughs> oh, no. This is a bastard question as well, isn't it? I, know. I, got, it. I got it, Craig. Do you, want, do you want a little bit of help? Yeah, you can go. Tony Cascarino. Tony no. Cascarino. No. I love, I love that dish, dish added so sure of himself. That's <laughs> <laughs> a nod. He heard an English Irishman, that's why. <laughs> oh. Whose goal is it? It's, uh, I guess anybody who can get one. Yeah. Just throw uh, them out. Throw some names Steve, out. Steve Staunton. Yes, Steve Staunton. Oh, correct. Come on. Uh, Dwight York. Nope. No, Dwight York. Where was he at that time? Ian Taylor? No. Ooh. Keep going, Ditch, because you can catch up. You're actually you're down by two right now. Kevin Richardson. Correct. Oh, wow. 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 Pulled one out. Pulled one out of the hat there. <laughs> There's two more names here. They're tough ones. Steve Staunton? That's been taken. Oh. Speaking of your short-term memory, Craig, that's a good example. But Ni- Nigel Spink was definitely the goalkeeper that day. You said he wasn't, right? Not both days. Not both games, though. Yeah, Bosnich played against me. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. And uh, you got, what do we got? Paul McGrath. We got Steve Staunton. And Kevin Richardson. You got Ray two, Houghton. two Ray more players. Houghton. Hmm? Ray Houghton? No, no. no he, played in, he played in your game, though. Trying to think of the striker. Who's the big striker? Alien Atkinson? No. All right, give us a clue. Are they English or, sorry, British players? You know, I don't know, honestly. They're British or are they foreign? They're British. Steve Stoffel. I'm pretty sure they are. Gary Parker? Yes, Craig. Good call. Long hair, yeah. Gary Parker. You got one more. I think Mm. he's British. I could be wrong here. I'm just thinking of the kit. Tony, Tony, Daly? Tony Daly? No. He uh, started up front, though, against you, right, with uh, Tony Cotty. Tony. Not against each. Tony Daly. Who would be younger? Because obviously it would have to be somebody younger that played in, like, uh, well, Earl Barrett, but. Correct. Is it? Yeah. Earl, Barrett. Earl Barrett. Big black center back. Great player. Good player. Yeah. They, were a good, they, had, they were a good side. They were yeah. a good side, yeah. I was surprised, actually, how good they were looking at their 11. Yeah. That's pretty impressive, fellas, I've got to say. Well done. We're down to the final question now. This winner takes oh, all. 
<laughs> what are the scores? This one's worth five points, by the way. So, okay. Right, scores are uh, scores are four for for Dish, and uh, Craig's got seven. All right. So Dish needs to win this. Need this. This is a winner takes all. Right? Hold on. Hold on. I just got. To... You fucking quiet down. <laughs> 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 was that to your wife or your kid? One of them. <laughs> All right, here we are. Five points. All right. The 1987 Vanier Cup. Saw oh, God. Saw Wong. Led by a charismatic and tough as nails Danny Wong. Danny Wong, by the way, went back in those days. Danny Wong. They, they hammered UBC. What was the combined score? The closest to it wins five points. 87 Vanier Cup, led by Danny Wong. What is the Vanier Cup? Is it what sport is it? <laughs> it's the it's the it's football. It's college. It's Canadian championship. University. So the best thing you can do, if you say three two, you're probably going to be wrong. Okay. Danny. Five rouges. Okay, so combined score, yeah? Yeah, combined score. Closest to it wins gets five points. So we should we should say it at the same time because if we don't, I could say one dollar. You could. Yeah, you're right. You know what? How about you both text me the uh your, your answer? Keep Just it fair. Mute your thing. Mute it. I can only mute what you're saying. You can still hear your donut. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly got you though. I nearly got you. <laughs> Good idea, Beach. Nice thought. Okay, I'm going to text you right now. Okay. I call a friend. Stop Googling it. Craig's Googling it. No, I'm just trying to find uh, somebody to text here. Either you or Wonger. Where the frick is Wonger here? <laughs> I'm telling you. Best radio, oh. best television we've ever put out. <laughs> I knew he texted the score. Pardon? You remember the score? Yeah, it's you engraved do. on the ring. Oh, is Dan, that Dan, is it a big score or a low score? Hey, don't tell him. It's a big score. It was the biggest difference in we crushed oh, yeah. UBC. No, hey, 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 hey. I've already texted my answer. You just yeah, be quiet over there. It is a. Hey Wonger, put yourself on mute. Just be quiet. Has he has he done his? I'm going to do yeah, it in yeah. a WhatsApp group. Ready? Okay. Yeah, you can do that because I've already done it. There you go. Oh wow! All right. Well, the answer was Ooh. 58. Wow. No. Was 58? Greg said 54. The 60. Danny Dicchio takes five points, and with it, oh. it's the inaugural. Championship. In the way, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah not bad nine, at all. He wins nine, nine to seven with that. Just about how how hyped up Ditch gets over a stupid quiz. <laughs> it shows you what kind of a dickhead he must have been on the field. Hey, by the way, who made up those freaking rules? How the fuck can you like have ten points for the last question? Hey, don't question the questionnaire. You, do you question Alex Trebek? No, you don't. No. You accept it. At least we had double jeopardy. Run, Greg. We'd be yeah. okay, wouldn't you? I guess there is winner take. Yeah, lose to goalkeepers. Never lose to them. 
<laughs> All right. Well done, Beach. For Thank that, you. Put an Amsterdam beer, which is plenty. Thank you. Can you send another one my way? I'm actually out. It's my last one, actually. I'm out. It's been two weeks. That's a disgrace. Tall boys, right? What's that? It's the tall boys. Yeah. So at 24 of tall boys. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's 12 pints a week. Yeah, and I've got a wife. I'm just doing some math. (laughs) My missus is an raging alcoholic, so (laughs) mainly her. <laughs> All right, fellas, that's about it. Anything else you want to talk about? No, nothing. Oh, <laughs> one more thing with COVID. COVID Yes. Let's uh, give us a bit of the um, like what's going on with it. Well, we're still ticking over, guys. You know, we're still doing our thing, and uh, it's actually just been about as busy as ever. Um, now we're in a position where we're, you know, we've got a lot of money that's donated that's going to go to buy PPE equipment. Uh, we're sort of seeing that uh, shortage. I've been to shelters. I uh, went to Brantford the other day and Salvation Army there. Pretty sad situation. So, yeah, still needed for now. And until uh, things get better, uh, we'll we'll be hanging around. And even if we slip away a little bit, we go into hibernation, meaning the group of Conquer COVID-19, uh, uh, there would be certainly a core that would be kept behind and ready to go if we needed to uh, do something in the second phase, perhaps. But for now, uh, still doing something. And then Friday, there's going to be a big push uh, again, uh, sort of news that I've been told not to report. But uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds is going to get involved on Friday and and also uh, some other uh, women that we might know in the uh, soccer department. So Really? Okay. Ryan Reynolds follows Craig Forrest on Twitter. No, 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 no. Craig Forrest follows Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> way more important, way more impressive. You know, actually, I, uh, I got an email this week saying that my T-shirts have been delayed because of the overwhelming demand for them, which is really, really positive. It is. And what has happened is uh, for the next round, there's going to be a different shirt uh, company that will deal with it. I think that one, uh, unfortunately, couldn't handle the demands uh, and get them shipped out quickly, as quickly as they should have probably. But also things aren't running at full speed. So we can kind of kind of understand that as well. And obviously people like yourself are very patient about it. But yes, the demand has been amazing. It really has. Yeah, I don't think people actually, you know, spent the money just to get the T-shirts. <laughs> but yeah, there's always a fee, right? There's always somebody going to moan. Always oh, somebody. Jesus, yeah. Abs- there's some moron out there, I'm sure, saying, where's my T-shirt? It's ridiculous. It's been over a week. Oh, Shut yes. Up. Oh, Shut yes. Charms, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking that you could do a nice conquer COVID pie and just come up with and rustle something up. Yeah. Like a real mix, a crazy mix that no one's really had before, and just kind of that originated in China. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, but uh, how about like a jerk chicken? Yeah, pie. You know that 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 on the card. I have some recipes I'm playing around with. Yeah, because that would be fucking awesome. I'll go get some bats and throw it in there. The two, you know how they always do the Lay's chips? Um, Pick your flavor. I always went jerk chicken and barbecued pork, Chinese barbecued pork. Really? Just, I, did a, I did a pulled pork. What are you doing there? 
double, <laughs> double hat fist, hand job, one job. See you. Good time in quarantine, aren't you? Yeah, if, you're, if you're watching once again, if you're listening once again on the podcast, <laughs> yeah. I was just making two men giving them hand jobs. Put it this way: there's a there's a party in Wong's mouth, and everyone's coming. <laughs> Leave it at that, shall we? Be the best way to put it. All right, boys, that was fun. Um, I guess we'll do it again next week, right? And who, who knows what, what restrictions are lifted. Maybe maybe a studio version of this show, once again, could be not too far away. Back at now. Positive thoughts. Positive thoughts. We, we, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Hey, right. Deech, Deech. That's, that's the way I want to hear you speak, Deech. Yeah. After he yells, has a domestic with his kids. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's going to go beat up the family now. Just going to pick a fight. Can you yell one more time? Can you yell again one more time? Just give him a good blasting. No, because I'm scared that they might be outside the door and ready to, like, assassinate or attack me. <laughs> Probably. They're all, they're all going to be bigger than him pretty soon, and Deech is going to be old and yeah. broken down. Broken down, and they're going to be, like, yeah. burning him and stuff. Being all yeah. from the bone. Yeah. yeah. All right, boys. Thank you so much. Hope everyone enjoyed that. Uh, our thanks once again to Amsterdam Brewery. We love, we love the beverages. Uh, our thanks to DeanBlundell.com, our home away from home. As is eggplant, you know, we're going to come back to you at some point, eggplant. I promise you, we, we miss your hospitality. All right, Wonga, Craig, Beach, cheers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 